Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Blue Noise, the Birmingham City podcast brought to you from us here at Birmingham Live. This week's guest is Paul Tate, uh, one of the most iconic names of Birmingham City in the 1990s. Uh, The former midfielder will forever be remembered in Blues folklore for his part in that famous 1995 Auto Windscreen Shields final. Tate not only scored the first ever golden goal at Wembley, he celebrated by tearing off his shirt to reveal a special message to the club's cross-city rivals. In an exclusive interview with Birmingham Live, the 47-year-old looks back on his Blues career, where he found that famous T-shirt, his difficult relationship with Trevor Francis and his uh, father-son relationship with Barry Fry, and also his continuing life as a Birmingham City fan. Tate was speaking to Birmingham Live to promote an appeal set up by his ex-teammate Paul Devlin to fund treatment for Devlin's 12-year-old daughter Annie. They'll both be running in the Great Birmingham Run in the hope of raising £20,000 to help Annie's condition Addison's disease. That's enough for me. Uh, Paul Tate has lots of anecdotes for you here. Sit back and listen to, to him discuss his career and his hopes for the future. So I'm here with uh, Birmingham City great Paul Tate. Um, Paul, I want to take you back to the, the very start of your, your association with Birmingham City. and Was it Hurley Colts you signed from? I signed, yeah, I think it was Hurley Colts. Uh, I used to play for three seasons on, in Chelmsley Wood before that. And um, I think I spotted there first. And then I moved to Hurley Colts, which was off Chelmsley Wood as well. Which would be the old North Warwick football club, but they moved to Hurley, which is out towards Tamworth Way. They had their own ground out there, but they were Chelmsley Wood base club. Uh, yeah, and I was spotted um, by Norman Bodell um, and a, a few of the scouts. And I was invited down to try and train at Birmingham. And, that was it, really. I, you know, never looked back. It was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, everyone knows you're a Blues fan. That, that yeah. must have been a dream come true. At, at what were you, sort of 16, 17 at that age? I was 11. 11, oh, right. 11. right. I was 11. So a little right. boy then. Yeah, so I was a young lad yeah. and, you know, I was to, to be asked to, to go to a professional football club and, and, and train, uh, it was a big honour. Not just uh, not just any professional football club. No, it, yeah. I mean, where, I, where I grew up, uh, you know, around, around the Stetchford area, um, at the age of nine, um, it, was, it was a big Birmingham area, you know, you had, you had the Glebe and then you had Lee, Lee Village and I went to school in Tollcross. It was a, you know, it was a few, good few Villa fans there, but mainly it was a big Birmingham area. So all the lads used to knock about with, they're all, you know, Birmingham fans. Yeah. So it was a bit strange, you know, signing for the club age, you know, making my debut age 16 and and then going out after with them and still knocking about with all the same people. You know, I didn't really realise what, what, you know, what I'd got really, I'm yeah. honest with you. Yeah. Uh, you, you don't, you know, you come from the, the streets as such and then I, I couldn't get away from that, you know, I was, the other were my mates and the club 
various occasions used to say to me, you've got to change your circle of friends and blah, blah, blah. Not I, I couldn't. I just thought, they're, well, they're my mates. Yeah. They're Birmingham fans, they're my mates. And that's how it went for me, I'm afraid. So, so without being too graphic, you'd, you'd, you'd be play, playing on a Saturday and, and then celebrating or commiserating with them on a Saturday night, would you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Every, every week, yeah, yeah. I'd be out with the, with the, with the lads, yeah, with supporters, win, lose or draw. I was always out and probably a bit led to my downfall a bit, really. You know, I could have, if I listened to the hierarchy at the club and who uh, wanted me to stop and, you know, I think that they actually made me move to Solihull, if I'm honest with you, in the end. Uh, they made, took me over to Solihull, to Dorwich, you know, made me buy a house over there and I was, I was only 20. I, you know, a clue what I was doing, if I'm honest with you. Next thing you know, I'm on my own, living in Dorwich, and you know they didn't tell me it was a pub on the corner of the, of the road as well. So <laughs> to feed the object, really. You know. And what was that like? Was that was that a lonely time for you living in Dorwich, or uh, did, did your mates just come over and you? No, no, on? no. I used to, I used to go get taxis and things back to back to Chelmsford and and areas like that. Yeah, yeah, and Stetchford, and still go out with them. Mm. It didn't stop me. You know, it's, it's hard. You know, and in a club. And take you from one side of Birmingham to you know to the other really, and yeah. try and change your ways, and without any support, you know, just throw you out over there, and you know the wages weren't great when I played, you know, so most of my money went on went on taxis, if I'm honest with you. It, it would be very different now, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, <laughs> I've had my time again. I don't think I would have drunk any alcohol whatsoever. I've gone out with them. Now. I think I'll give you know kai boshed them straight away, but. Uh, you know, it's all changed, isn't it? You know, I, I don't drink anymore. I've been a drink for it'd be three years this Christmas, and uh, I live my life now like, as I should have, you know, uh, back then really. Um, you know, so I keep myself fit, don't drink, um, but you know, well, I wouldn't change anything. Mm. Do, you, do you remember your, your debut? Yeah. Was uh, it was it Barnsley? No, my debut here was against Leeds. Leeds United was on a Friday night uh, under the lights. I think it changed it because of. The, so it was happening on the Saturday, and I think it was what with all the trouble in, from the '85 game. Uh, it was, I think it was 1987, 88 season, I think. And I come on for the last half an hour, yeah, and it was uh, so daunting. You know, cause I was 16, I was an apprentice, I wasn't a, pro a professional, and um, it was just so. It was, I wasn't ready for it, if I'm honest with you. Uh, I didn't feel ready. I was banging the goals for the reserves and the youth team. I was, I was a forward then. But I only had about nine, nine and a half stone. You come onto the pitch and you you see the size of the lead centre halves, and you look at them. These are grown men, and I'm I'm a little kid. If I'm honest with you, I'm 16. I've just left school, I'm not ready for it. You know, nine months, ten months earlier, I'm, I'm at school, but I got man of the match. I was only off for 28 minutes. Hit the post with a shot. Should have had a one on one with Mervyn David Keep, and I should have scored, bottled it, and uh, you know, it was a fantastic you know experience. Brilliant experience, you know. So make your debut at sixteen. It's it's a big thing. Mm. And you, and you sort of you, you carried on, and, and I guess it would have been hard because you, I think shortly after that, Blues were relegated to the third division, really for the first time in their yeah. history. So I mean, it was yeah. a, it was a hard school for for a young man to be coming into. Yeah, I mean, at the time, most of the of the team was made up of, of apprentices and young professionals from this local area. Yeah. We had no money to spend at all. I remember. I used to play on a Saturday here, and because I was a apprentice, then I'd sweep the terraces on the Monday. You know, and you, you wouldn't get that these days. You know, you wouldn't get the players, the apprentices these days. They don't do any jobs. You know, we used to have to spend three days cleaning the stadium, cleaning the toilets, washing the kits. It was a, you know, it was a baptism of fire. Um, but it made me realise what it was like to be a professional footballer. Mm. You know, we had, we had no money, no one to learn off really, mm. no training ground really. You know, 
we had one, but it was at Almond, but it was in ruin at the time. You know, and once we got rid of Almond, uh, we had nowhere to train, nowhere to learn, nowhere to practice. You know, we used to train at the park down well, the opposite the Garrison pub, you know, on a Friday. It was really, really hard times, you know, as a, as a young lad, you know, learning your way in the game. It was very, very difficult. Extremely difficult. You must have been very proud when you battled your way back. You, you went up, was it Terry Cooper took, took, the, took the team back up? Yeah, yeah, yeah so well, I, I got injured. I, I got injured away uh, at Orient and for, um, after about 13 seconds in a game. And uh, it was a career threatening injury. You know, I was told by uh, one specialist wouldn't touch me. He said that it was a horrific injury. And then the next specialist, a guy called David Dandy, who I think he operated on Alan Shearer's first injury. He was the leading surgeon at the time in Europe. He just took one look at the MRI scan and he just said, can you do anything else? He said, you, you won't play professional football again. He said, show me the damage. And it was, it was horrific damage to my knee. You know, bone grafts, pins, bolts. It was total reconstruction. At that age, to be told at 19, you're never going to play football again. I've just broken onto the scene. I was playing fantastically well. You know, it was really, really difficult. Really, and I was packed off then. To, to, the managers changed. I was packed off to Lily Shaw for three or four months without any contact with the club. Lee Macari come in, didn't want anything to do with me for some reason, I have no idea why to this day. And uh, I didn't speak to anyone at the club for three or four months, just packed off and come back. I had an argument on Lou about my treatment and then he, he went, he went and then Terry Cooper come in and he was an absolute godsend. Mm. You know, he's, what a man, his wife made the club a family club. There's a bit of money, got a little bit of money come in with the Kumars. And uh, slowly but surely this club has started to find its way back a little bit, you know, mm. and it, we got, I think we went up last game of the season, I think we had Shrewsbury, I think, I'm actually not too sure about that. But, uh, but Terry, was Terry looked after me, it was one of his own, he was absolutely gentleman, mm. you know, what a brilliant coach, and a lovely, lovely man. And Barry, and Barry. And then after, after that, when Terry went and Baz come in, it was completely crackers. Uh, I, you know, for me, it was a bit similar at the time. I absolutely loved it, it was brilliant for me, you know, it was just, it was just like an Only Falls and Horses show. It was just crazy. You know, we had, I think we had 49 players. We had two reserve teams. And it was just absolute mentalness, you know. It, for me, personally, it was really good. But for some of the senior pros who were straight down the line, they didn't like it. They couldn't, they just couldn't have him. But for me, it was, it, it was brilliant for me. Yeah. You know, he used to swear at me. I'd swear at him. And it's like having a dad around the place, you know. It was just completely crackers. But... But, you know, he, his transfer record, all the players he brought in, and he, he, I think he's the only manager who's ever made, made money from his transfer dealings at, at that time anyway. And he, You know, he knew a player. Yeah. Mind you, it took him 49 of them to find out <laughs> a player, but at least he knew him. He, it's, for me, the rapport between the, the players and the fans in those days was absolutely incredible. Mm. The crowd, the, it was a buzz about the place. It was a hostile environment. Um, you know, white fans didn't like coming here, players in the tunnel before the game, you could see the fear in the faces, you know, it was really, really hostile and that's what I liked, you know, at that time I was, I was a fan and I didn't want, I wanted them to feel hostile, you know, I, I wanted this place to be a fortress and it was, he, he, tur he turned it into that, you know, and obviously when, when he went and, and, then, and then Trev come in, and you go from one extreme to the other, yeah. you go from, you know, Baz is completely crackers and then to Trevor who's totally not, you know, mm. so... I found that quite difficult. Yeah, you'll forever be associated, obviously, with 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 the Wembley goal. But yeah. before that, what people, what's been sort of airbrushed from history yeah. is the fact you you scored the first golden goal in the semi final against Swansea, didn't you? 
Yeah, well, the first goal was scored by, I think, a lad from Huddersfield. Uh, was it Huddersfield? I think. I'm led to believe. But I, I score, I did score so against the Swansea. Club's one. Yeah, yeah the Arclubs. I scored yeah. Yeah, against Swansea as well, yeah. You know, um, it was just, I think it was my cup that year, I think. It yeah. was just my year. Um, but I, I used to play up front when I started out here, when all my Sunday career and all my youth team football, reserve team football, we won the Midland Youth Cup and I scored a hat-trick in the semi-final there, I scored the winner in the final. And the FA Youth Cup scoring at Tottenham, scored at Leeds, and I mean when we had Dave Mackay as the manager with Bobby Ferguson, he they moved me back into midfield yeah. to protect me, and um, I was the only one who could run. I was the best runner at the club. I could, you know, get round the pitch. And I said, Do "You fancy playing?" Then I went, "Not really, lot, but we didn't have no money, and the, the, the rest is history." They put yeah. me back into midfield, and I absolutely hated it. I hated playing in midfield. I, you know, I was always going to receive my ball with my back to goal, and now I'm getting the ball off the centre halves turning into people, it was a totally foreign position and no one taught me how to play that position. I had no one to learn off. No one pulled me to the side and said, this is what you do. I just had to self-learn really and I, I absolutely couldn't stand playing in midfield. I hated it. You know, I was, you know, remember one game here, we were playing against Wimbledon in the FA Cup. You know, I about, gone up to about 10 stone there. I was playing against Vinnie Jones, who was, you know, big, big lump, yeah. six foot two, proper, proper big bloke, hard team. And uh, I remember him saying to John Scales and who was it, the other one, Andy Thorne, if you don't sort this little skinny blah 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 out, I'll blah 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 to you after the game. Threatened them and then spat in my face. I'm thinking, what am I doing here? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm playing up against this guy who's literally going to try and break me in half. You just have to get in with him, you know, you try and do him before he did me. Yeah. You know, and we never clashed, but I'm sure he, he would come out a winner. But uh, it was one of them. You, you, in those days, you could you were there to be to be kicked, and yeah. you had to defend yourself. Not like today, when they get slightest touch and they're on the floor. In those days, as a young kid coming through the ranks, you had to remember the first tackle. They would say the first tackle, make sure you it's a winner. Make sure you 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 know you, you leave your mark. And I was an absolutely terrible tackler. And the tackles I did were absolutely outrageous. Totally shocking. What a danger to yourself as much as no, anybody else. No, because when I got injured by a guy called John Sitton, who was a, the uh, ex-Orient manager, you know, it was a horrific tackle he did on me. And I always vowed from then, no one's ever going to do that to me again. Yeah. So when I did go in for tackles, you know, I, I, I went in to, to look after myself. Yeah. And if the other guy come, you know, got hurt, it's one of them. This is what we do, you know. But, uh, but my tackling was absolutely shocking. Terrible, I admit that. You know, it's a bit like the Paul Scholes. I think he couldn't tackle, but he could play there. That's a difference. Yeah. <laughs> um, can so, I, you know, it's one of those. It's really difficult. Can I, can I take, you, take you forward to Wembley? When does the idea of the T-shirt start to start to crystallise in your mind? On the day uh, or in the build-up? Yeah, somebody mentioned the idea, you? no, the idea of the T-shirt, was, there was no idea. It was just there in the, in the kit box. No, one, no one's ever seen this top before. Right. It was just in the kit box. It was really small. And no one asked the kit man, I think it was Richard who was a kit man, Where, where's this top come from? And he said, I don't know. So, well, he'd never, it was worn, so it actually wasn't brand new. Where, well, where is it? Like, what happened in those days, you used to wear, have to wear tops underneath your, uh, you know, your main shirt yeah. because you, all the, the rashes used to get and things. Not like today, we all wear all lycra and yeah. all this. All breathing. Know, yeah, yeah, breathing. Yeah. So you, you know, it's fantastic, the gear they've got these days. And... Uh, it was just in the it was in the box, and I, I, it was the only one of the top left. I thought, what's on that? Went, oh, I'll have a bit of that. I'll have a bit of that. I'll wear that because I, I said to Steve Robinson, who I was sharing with 
the night before the game in the hotel in Waltham Abbey. I said, Rob, I think I'm going to get on score tomorrow. He said, yeah, all right. Like, I just walked off. I said, no, no, no. I said, so I think I'm going to score. Forget it. I've got this feeling I'm going to score. And he went, yeah, right. And uh, just that was it. And I put the top on, went out, scored the goal. You don't think. You just don't think. You just The elation of when you do score and you run to the fans, because that's all I wanted to be. I wanted to be with the fans. I didn't run to any of the teammates. I wanted to be with the fans, my mates. I knew exactly where they were. And uh, you lifted your top up, and then in the space of about 10 seconds, and you turn around, and you realise what you've actually done. And then you saw the photographers, and then Barry Fry's got me in a headlock. What have you done now? What have you done now? Cover that up. Can we cover it up? And then I realised then, you know, I'm going to be in a bit of trouble here. You know, I think that I think it's a guy from the Daily Daily Mirror. He wouldn't leave me alone. He would not leave me alone. He was all over me, like you know. And I was thinking, oh no, you know, I've done it. I'm in, I'm in trouble because I was always in trouble. Yeah. You know, I was always in trouble with, with the David sort of, and they always had me in the office with Karen and that. And I thought, you know, this is it now. They're going to really throw the book at me. And I got a message that David wants to see me after the game at the hotel at Waltham at the, uh, the Swallow. I thought this is it, like, you know what I mean? I brought the, the club into disrepute, yeah. they're going to throw the book at me because I was up on my last warning. And I went in and I apologised, said, Dad, I'm so sorry. And he went, he said, sit down. And, and he said, where, where do you get the top from? And I just said, I've got it. It was in the, in the kit bag. He went, really? I went, yeah. And he said, I said, why are you asking? He said, because I, I, I want thousands of them. I want to sell them in the club shop. And I went, oh, God. <laughs> this just sums us up, doesn't it? <laughs> so there's me thinking he was going to, you know, Keep me out the at the club. He wanted to know where I got the top box. He wanted to sell them, make a few quid, absolutely crackers. So, there you go. so that was it, really. And, and the club looked after me, really. Because yeah, the FA did throw the bucket. The you, FA right? were a nightmare. We yeah. had a five-hour meeting down there over in the main stand side with with all the committee, the FA and Jack Wiseman. God bless him, who was there, did fight in my corner, mm. and he kept on coming up saying, "Tate, they're going to ban you. Six months ban." I said, six months for that?" I said, "You're joking." And then he come out again and got it down to four months. I was there for five hours mm. because it was not long after the Eric Cantona. I'd mm. done that karate kick yeah. on the Palace fan, so footballers were seems to be in a good light. And he, uh, I was there five hours. I said, Jack, I said, I don't care what they get. I said, I just want to go home. I said, if they want to ban me, just ban me. I said, but I'm telling you, I'm going in a minute. And they and he come back out and he got it down. He said, no, Paul, you've got to stay. And he got it down to uh, a fine, £500, I think it was, from the, F, from the FA and two weeks wages from the club and if it was to appear in front of him again it's an instant ban hmm. you know so in the end it was okay but I think they obviously the relations between the two clubs between Birmingham and Villa wasn't too good um, because of that because I think it was Paul McGrady's testimonial and they were playing us hmm. at Villa Park and I was packed off to Middlesbrough to play in the reserves that night but I said there's no way you're staying in this area you You've got to go and play in Middlesbrough. So there I went off to the reserve game to Middlesbrough. All the, the first team when I played in Paul McGrath's testament, I had a, to have a meeting with Paul McGrath to say, you know, sorry and shake hands. And, but, uh, you know, it, it caused a lot of problems, if yeah. you want to be honest. What became of the t shirt, do you know? It's still around. <laughs> You're not saying. It's still around. It's still, it's still floating about the t shirt. You could lay your hands on it if you needed to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's still around, <laughs> it? yeah. So you ended. As you've, you've alluded to, that Trevor coming in and, and things, I don't know if you want to say they became more professional, but it, it, suddenly yeah. everything seemed to stabilise. And, and then in 99, you, you ended up leaving the club. Was that a, was that a heartbreaking decision? Yeah, it's absolutely killed me. Yeah. Um, 
Ikki will make us. I played for this first season. I played like over thirty games, I think, that season, and I was doing all right. You know, brought a lot of good players in. It was a lot more professional. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of players and big money coming in in those days. Yeah. And you could see there was, you know, he knew a player, Trevor. You know, he's a fantastic player. Um, but to me, to get on with players, you've got to be a good man manager. You know, you've got to know how to deal with players and how to treat them. You know, some players need arm range and need a kick at the backside and. You know, if you look at all the best managers down the years, they've always been good man managers. And it's about managing a player, not mm -hmm. just, you know, ostracising them from the rest of the group. And then I'll come back for pre-season and they didn't speak to me. I don't know what I'd done. And they never spoke to me again, really. Mm -hmm. Without having a word, saying, you know, you're not in the team. Just imagine sitting in a room with 25 other players and then you come into a room, read a list out. Paul Tate, Barry Orne, Jason Bowen, Andy Legg, you've got to leave. But you know, you're not in this. So why? That was how you found out, was it? No, just you've got, got to leave the club. You've got to get out of the room and go and train with the, whoever right. without an explanation. You know, So it was, well, what's going on? Can you just, at least, I'd rather just tell me what, what, what's going on, what's the crack? So I thought, right, okay, train, 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 playing brilliant for the reserves, got myself super fit. You know, it's just given something to think about, and it wasn't wasn't getting anywhere. I mean, Ian Bowyer, our reserve manager at the time, used to tell me, "I've told him how well you're doing." He said, "You should be in the team," and he said, "Boy, you're still having it." I said, "Well, can you ask him why? Be a man and come and tell me what what the crack is. Don't just you know send the fitness coach to come do your dirty work. Stand up and come tell me." And uh, he didn't do it. You know, it was it was heartbreaking when I left because I was you know was. I was in my testimonial year when I left. I'd been here like when I was 11 and left when I was 27. Mm -hmm. And uh, the club made it difficult for me to get a game and I was treated so bad. You know, being one of I was a fan of the club, I loved the club and and next thing you know, you're out the, you know, you know you're going out the door. And I was thinking I didn't want to, you know, numerous of times I, I could have left the club and signed for the club, but I didn't want to. I turned down, looking back now. That's how you made your money in those days, by moving. Yeah. All I wanted to do was play at St Andrews in front of my, my mates and my, the crowd. Mm. That's all I wanted to do. I didn't make any money out of the game by staying at Birmingham City. Mm -hmm. I had the opportunities to do it, to move, but I never. Because all I wanted to do was play here. You know, try to get rid of me three or four times. Agreed a fee. So I'm going there. You've got to go with agreed a fee. I said, I ain't going. I'm not going. I don't want to go. I don't want to play. This is my club. I said, I don't care about the money. I'm somewhere I no money here. I said, I don't care. Looking back now, mm. that's how everyone made their money. Yeah, you know, it's not like today. You know, they get massive, white, massive contracts. Yeah. It was, you know, it's. I can't do anything about it now. No, but back, you know, but back then, I, that's all I wanted to do. But when I left, you know, I, I was, I was absolutely devastated when I left. I really was. I was really upset with the way I'd been treated at the end. Mm -hmm. I, was not, I was no angel, but there's ways of dealing with people. There's Baz, if he wanted someone out the door, he'd say, listen, you're not in my plans, let's get you a move, let's earn a few quid. That's what Baz would do. Mm -hmm. Whereas Trevor's totally the opposite. He wouldn't speak, to hide behind other people, and that's why I just can't get my head around him. You know, I'll speak to him when I see him, so, you know, we, we converse, we, you know, we'll have a chat. But it's my management skills for me were just completely crazy. Mm. You know, I couldn't have it. Yeah. So you you end up retiring and and you, you're back at the club as, as a fan now from yeah. where you started off. You were yeah. saying earlier that you, you still go to 
Yeah, I'll go to all the games with my daughter. I'll go to, I live in Redditch, I'll go to the Redditch Sports Club um, on the coach. So all the games, home and away. I went to 40, over 40 games last season and you know, no one knows who I am in the crowd. You know, all, all the lads, all my old mates and that know and for all the young lads who go to the games, no one knows who I am and it's, it's nice just standing around there and not, not knowing <laughs> who you are and you know, it's, it's, quite, it's quite a strange experience really. You know, being a supporter listen to the comments that come out yeah. and what they say to the players. And I, I, I look for things what the players are doing on the pitch. You know, I don't criticise them. I can see what they're trying to do and when it doesn't come off because they want to or not putting the work in. You know, I, I'll sit there, also I'll sit there and, and I, I do have a look, I analyse them. You know, whereas I listen to some of the comments coming out the, the fans' mouths, it's absolutely crackers. Mm. Uh, you know, they, they hate some of the, some, you can see the players which they don't like. So if they make a, a mistake, it's on their case. It's, you know, for us, it's alcohol induced, really, a lot of it. But it's, it's, it's good being around everyone. I've always followed the club. Mm. You know, I've always I've been away everywhere back in the 80s when it was dangerous to go everywhere, you know. Back in the early 80s, mid 80s, I used to go everywhere then as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's, it's a lot safer now, and a lot of people, you've got your daughter and you're on a coach now. So, yeah. And I don't drink anymore, so it stops, <laughs> stops a, lot, a lot of the hassle as well. And um, what do you see from the, from the current first team and the, um, and the manager and the setup? Well, since Gary Monk's coming, I think he's done a fantastic job. I really do. Um, I can see where, what he's trying to do with limited resources. Um, it didn't help with all the, the changes we've brought with Harry Redknapp bringing in loads of players and then getting rid of him and Steve uh, Cottrell coming in and playing a totally different way of playing, uh, asking players to do things which they couldn't do really. You know, uh, But watching, Blue, watching us this season with Gary Monk, I think we've outplayed teams. I really do. Other than Saturday, I think Saturday was an absolutely... Horrific game, mm. you know, terrible game. But the positive average is we didn't get beat. Last season they come here and beat us 2-0. And we were terrible on the day. But this, you know, Saturday we were absolutely shocking, but got a 0-0 out of it. You know, but I think the worst thing that happened for it in our point of view was Albion beating them 7-1 seven, seven, and Bristol City turning them over. I think from then, I think they've, they've picked up a little bit. I think the QPR won two games. Drew against us. I think they'll be all right then. You know, I think Simon Clare will get them. Now. I think they'll finish mid-table then. But us, um, the only problem, my fear, is our strength in depth. If we get a few injuries at the Christmas period, for instance, when the games come thick and fast, is what we've got in reserve. Like coming through, it's all young lads. Mm-hmm. See what I'm harping on about when I come through. Yeah, we're not in anywhere that situation, by the way. But the lads coming through are very good. I think the, the young lads coming through were very good. I went to watch them at Cheltenham pre-season. And yeah, that was an outstanding really game. It's, it? it's good to watch them, yeah. you know, give them a chance. Yeah. Get them in there. You know, I'm not one of these, like, oh, yeah, they're age and they're inexperienced. The only way they're going to get experience is throw them in there. Mm-hmm. If they're hungry, if they've got the desire, they're going to run through a brick wall for you. I'd get them in. I would. I'd get them in. Just give them a chance. As we saw with Wes Harding at the end of last season. He's been brilliant, hasn't he? Yeah. He's so unfortunate to lose his place. I'm lucky for him. He's, he's a... Maxim Collins is a fantastic player, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, that, you know, it's very unfortunate for Wes Harding, but I, I, I like the look of the players, the, the young lads coming through. Mm-hmm. The only way they're going to learn is to play in front of twenty-one thousand, like we did Saturday. Throw them in and give them a go. Mm-hmm. Give them a go. That's the only way the kids are going to learn. Yeah, they're fresh. They're hungry. They want to do well. Like so the players, when you come towards the end of your careers and that you're out there and you've been through it, so it could be like your seventh, eighth, ninth year, and you're thinking, oh God. Injuries, playing with injections. I don't know if they do that these days, but got loads of young kids come through there who want to do well. 
you know, you can't put loads of them, you can't put five, six, seven of them, but, you know, one or two a game. Mm-hmm. Give them a chance, give them a chance. What I've seen so far, the lads coming through, the future looks bright for us. Well, that was Paul Tate. Thank you very much to him for his time on that. I hope you enjoyed it, uh, listening to one of the uh, club's most iconic and uh, memorable names. Look back his, at his career and, uh, and that famous day at Wembley. Uh, interesting for me was was the fact that he still goes home and away with Blues. Um, he, he he remains. He was a keen fan. He was a he was a keen fan as a young man. Had the great fortune to represent the club club he loved as a player, and that that affection is, is enduring. And and he can be seen at many, if not every, Birmingham City game. Interesting to hear what he thinks about Gary Monk and and the work he's done since he's been in charge at St Andrews. And also his belief that uh, that some some young players can can maybe do what he did, as as we heard there, thrown into the lion's den as a 16-year-old. Uh, he's 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 seen many of the uh, the Blues youngsters, and he's been very impressed. And who knows, uh, one of those one of those may follow in the footsteps of Wes Harding last season to play a pivotal role in this se- in the rest of this season. Well, that's the latest edition of Blue Noise Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, keep right on.